Hey there, before the episode gets started, I wanted to apologize in advance. I'm still recovering from COVID, so I was coughing quite a bit while doing the first recording, and I had to go back and re-record a few segments. So you might notice my voice changes slightly when I move from track to track. Thanks in advance for your patience, and hopefully I'll be better next week. Hello, and welcome to Agents of Nonprofit. My name is Alexander Lapa, but please call me Alex, and I'm here to talk to everyday superheroes helping nonprofits using technology. Today, I'm going to talk about considerations for your Salesforce implementation. Before beginning, I just wanted to let you know that because I know Salesforce doesn't necessarily mean that I think it's the right CRM for you. There are a number of other CRMs which may be a better fit, so please take that into consideration. And my intention is to interview people at these CRMs to really paint a landscape so that you can decide whether and which CRM is best suited for you. One of my previous guests, Maxime from the Breakfast Club of Canada, suggested that Salesforce would be a good fit for either very small nonprofits or for very large ones. And the reason for that, I believe, is because for small nonprofits, uh, Salesforce offers 10 free user licenses. That means you could have 10 individuals using their enterprise edition version of Salesforce, which is one of the higher versions, and have 10 users use it for free which is fantastic. It keeps your reoccurring costs very low. And of course, when you're a larger nonprofit, you can't afford to pay for those extra licenses. You only basically pay for licenses above 10. And rather than pay the full cost of a seat, which I believe is around $150 US for the enterprise edition, you pay about $35 US per person per month. The only thing is, is that you have to consider your implementation costs. So it's great that you might not pay for those 10 free licenses, but you need to build and customize Salesforce for your particular nonprofit needs. And that's where the cost of implementation might come into effect. So it is something you want to consider if you're on the smaller side of the nonprofit space. That being said, Salesforce is the number one CRM for 13 years in a row. So if you're starting with Salesforce, you know that your organization can grow with it. You will not have to migrate from Salesforce to another CRM you're already at the top of the ladder, so to speak. Once you've made the determination that Salesforce is the right CRM for your organization, you basically have two channels to begin the process. The first one is to talk to Salesforce themselves. Now, as I mentioned once before, Salesforce is a company and they basically just sell you licenses to the Salesforce product. They don't implement it for you. So option one is for you to first contact them indicate that you would like to have Salesforce and they will set you up with an account executive to get you on your feet and get going. The second option is for you to do it yourself through a self-serve portal, and that is to register for a NPSP trial. NPSP meaning the Nonprofit Success Pack. It's basically the nonprofit cloud product that is offered on top of that enterprise edition of Salesforce. And it provides a tremendous amount of features and functionality out of the box ready to use for your nonprofit. So once you sign up for a trial, you're also assigned an account executive. You have basically 30 days in this trial to play around with, uh, with Salesforce, make sure you do like it. And then you provide necessary documents to your account executive to indicate um, what is your charity's registration number and so forth to prove that you are actually a nonprofit. That process takes about a week or so. If ever you need a bit more time, if those 30 days isn't sufficient, you can always ask for an extension, and usually Salesforce is pretty lenient with that. Regardless of which choice you made, whether you contact Salesforce 
or use the self-serve portal, your next step is to customize Salesforce according to what your organization actually needs. And generally, this is where Salesforce would recommend working with a partner. Finding a partner can be a bit challenging, finding the right partner especially, because your entire experience of Salesforce will be now focused or based on uh, around the partner. If you've got a great partner, the process will be really smooth, everything will go really well, you'll have a great feedback, and, and a true partner. Versus if you have one that's a bit less uh, experienced, maybe uh, you know, not so fluent in Salesforce itself, you might find you struggle a little bit further. So it's always a great idea to ask for any kind of referrals uh, from Salesforce or from other nonprofits that have any, if they have any recommendations on a partner that they can uh, refer to you. With NPSP, you get a number of features such as donation management, event management, campaigns, fundraising campaigns, government grants, in-kind gifts. And it does, of course, accounts and contacts, contacts being individuals and accounts being either households or other organizations. It does uh, payments, that is to say, it records payments. It doesn't actually do payment processing itself. For that, you would need a third-party plugin. For anything that Salesforce doesn't do out of the box, there is a, a third-party vendor system called the App Exchange, which is kind of like an Apple Store or a Google Play Store, where vendors can provide functionality that will enhance Salesforce. And there's a whole section, a whole category dedicated to nonprofits. I'll provide a link to the App Exchange in the episode's show notes. Some of the typical products that I end up installing for my clients are things such as a mass emailer, because Salesforce itself can only handle sending about 2,000 emails per day. So anytime you want to do some kind of campaign or appeal or outreach by email, then it's much better to have a proper email, uh, mass emailer. That will also track you know, how many people have opened the email, how many people have clicked on links within the email, and that kind of stats. The second package that's commonly installed is some kind of payment processor. If your charity wants to accept donations through a credit card, an ACH transfer, or an e-transfer, then you'll need some kind of third-party payment gateway, Stripe being the most popular one. And then you'll need a connector that connects Stripe to Salesforce. There are also a few payment processor uh, packages available to you. And if you live in the US, there is a package offered by Salesforce called Elevate. Unfortunately, it's not yet available in Canada, and we hope to receive it soon, but it handles all donation management and payment processing. Then if you want to provide some kind of tax receipts, there's, um, there's various options for tax receipting. And then there are a bunch of packages that Salesforce themselves provide for nonprofits. These are add-ons on top of the NPSP package. The ones that I normally add are PMM, which is Program Management Module. It helps determine uh, programs and services uh, and, and who's receiving these programs and services. There's a volunteering package to track all kinds of volunteering activity. And there's case management to help determine whether an individual is qualified to receive your services. As you're building out Salesforce with your partner, it's very important to keep track of the bigger picture. Salesforce is a wonderful tool, but it's just a tool. And like any other tool, you have to have the right process around it to be able to support the tool. So one of the things you should do is review your current business process. And once that's done, see how Salesforce fits within that process. And this leads the conversation to change management. Anytime you're introducing some kind of change to your current flow, to your current process, there's going to be some resistance. And there are a number of ways you can tackle that resistance. The first one is to get a champion, someone who is a cheerleader within your organization that will encourage others to use the tool. 
The second tip is to adopt one of Salesforce's mantra, which is, if it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't exist. And the idea behind that is, the reason you're using Salesforce is because you want to be able to track it. You want to be able to see where money goes in, where money goes out, where people are spending their time, how you're interacting with your constituents, and so forth. The more data you put into the system, the more useful data you put into the system, the better reporting and metrics you'll have. To that end, it's always good to have some kind of governance. Basically, it's a team of select individuals who are the decision makers that receive the feedback from all your users and then decide whether this is a feature that is useful to implement now, maybe sometime in the future, or you know what, it's a good idea, but it doesn't really fit within our paradigm. Another guiding principle is the crawl, walk, run approach for project delivery. And what that means is that your first release isn't your last. It'll be just the minimum that's needed to get your users using the system, to get comfortable with it and familiar with it, and to be able to provide great feedback. You will then improve the system to move to the walk phase, and that's where certain automations will come into play. These are automations that you don't necessarily want to do in the first phase because you're still learning how to use the system. And once that flow is determined, then you can start leveraging automation to automate certain behaviors and certain activities. The final stage is the run phase, and that's where you're adding additional functionality, additional enhancements, and really putting the cherry on top of that Sunday. Another important consideration is data migration. Typically, you'll have some legacy data in some kind of system, whether it's a notepad, Excel, or perhaps another CRM, and you'll have to determine how much of that data you want to bring into Salesforce. A few best practices here. You only want to bring in the data that you find useful. You might have 20 years of data, but do you really need 20 years of data in a new system? Or maybe you want to just keep it as an archive and refer to it as a, on a need-to-know basis, and maybe only bring in, say, seven years worth of data into Salesforce. You also want to make sure your data is as clean as possible. There's a philosophy of garbage in, garbage out, and you want to make sure that the information you're putting within Salesforce is as clean as possible. With your purchase of Salesforce, not only do you get a production environment, you also get a number of sandboxes. And a sandbox is basically a copy of production, a smaller copy of production, that allows you to play with the tool, to experiment, to install new packages, to test out new features, and you're able to do that in a safe environment without impacting your day-to-day -day operations that's in production. So typically you, you start your first implementation in production because it's the first time people are using it. And then any subsequent upgrades or enhancements you would first do in a sandbox, test it out with a small group of users, and then migrate or deploy those changes into production. On the rare occasion, it's okay to make a small change directly in production. But by far and large, you want to make most of your changes in a sandbox to do that testing before moving to production. And if you have multiple features being developed at the same time, it's a better idea to have one or multiple dev orgs, a single test org where everyone can test, and then a production org. Salesforce also offers powerful tools for security and permissions. I've seen most nonprofits have a more of an open sharing model. That is, everyone can see everything and modify anything. But based on your particular needs, you might want to restrict access. You may have, for example, certain volunteers that come and help with data entry, and perhaps you don't want those users to be able to delete certain records. So having different kinds of profiles allows you to have full control over who can do what. Once your data has been loaded and things are running smoothly, one of the next steps to consider is reports and dashboards. And this allows your team to report on basically anything that is in Salesforce. And there are a number of reports that you can do, and there are a number of dashboards you can build on top of those reports. 
Reports are more like the Excel sheet type style format versus the dashboards, which uses report data and presents it in a more uh, visual fashion, a little more high level bird's eye view kind of style, which are more suited for your executives. You can also put these dashboards on your homepage so that when you log into Salesforce, you can at a glance see what's happening within the system. Now that you know a few factors for success, let's talk about a few factors that can cause a project to fail. According to a report by Forrester in 2009, here are the four main reasons why CRM projects fail. Number one is a lack of coherent CRM strategy. Two is a lack of attention to process. Three is focusing on technology rather than people. Four is failure to adopt once implemented. Other reasons cited were a lack of executive commitment, poor data quality, and lack of alignment with the existing IT architecture. So these are things you want to keep in mind to not do. In terms of ongoing maintenance, you have a few options. The first is to use your partner. So if your partner offers some kind of support package, then once you've agreed that a change needs to be made, you communicate that change to your partner and they do it for you. The second option is to empower your users, specifically one user, to become a Salesforce administrator. And there are a lot of great tools that is offered by Salesforce for free on how to learn and train to become a Salesforce administrator. Trailhead is one of them, and I'll provide a link in the show notes below. The third option is Salesforce themselves. They offer a premier package, which offers a certain level of support. My recommendation is a combination of option one and option two. You definitely want to empower your users to make certain changes, but it's also good to have a partner by your side to offer further guidance. One of the advantages of using cloud technology is that generally updates are included, and Salesforce is no exception. They release three updates per year, which offers new features and functionality, and it's an opt-in type of process, which means you decide when you want to use it. In addition to that, they offer uh, certain critical updates, which are more ad hoc updates and patches, and generally you want to apply those as soon as you can. Salesforce has evolved to become much more than just a CRM. It's become a platform. And what that means is that you're able to do many customizations that really enhances your experience. You can create custom fields for existing objects or create new objects altogether. And the general principle for any kind of customization is if something is available out of the box or through a package, then you want to use that because those are the tried and true methods. They've already been tested. They've already been proven. And only when they don't suffice, that's when you would go for customizations. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Alexander Lapa, and I hope you join me again next time for Agents of Nonprofit.